You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. Kids break things. That's just part of having them. When I was a kid, I broke things. I'm sure you were broken things, too. One day, I was mowing the grass at my parents' house, which was one of my jobs around the place. And uh, we had a riding mower. And my dad was very particular about this mower. And he wanted me to be aware of the presence of a stump in our yard. Uh, The stump didn't come up very high, so it was hard to see. And so he took me over and he said, look, hey, boy, look. Here's a stump. Don't hit this stump. And I said, okay, I'm not going to hit the stump. Every time, hey, remember, there's a stump out there. Don't don't hit that stump. If you hit that stump, it's not going to be good. It's going to mess up the more. Don't hit the stump. Don't hit the stump. I said, okay, I'm not going to hit the stump. Don't worry about it. I got it. I'm a grown man. And so I got on the mower, and I remember I was out there, and I was just singing. I was happy. I was at the top of my lungs singing out there, and I was cruising, too. I like to, you know, one side has a turtle, one side has a rabbit, and I was full rabbit, baby. And I was all the way on with that lawnmower. And I hit that stump like it was the will of God for my life to hit that stump. And I remember the mower just came to a complete halt. I came off the mower into the grass. And I knew at that moment I had made a terrible mistake. I considered running away from home and changing my name. My only transportation was that mower, so that wasn't going to work, you know. Like, I didn't know what to do. My dad eventually came outside, and he looked at the situation with the mower, and he expressed his displeasure in that moment. But then you know what he did? He went and he got some tools out of the garage and he started to fix the damage that I had done to the mower. And that's just kind of how things were back then. My dad could fix things and he didn't go to school to learn how to fix things. I don't know where he learned to fix things. I think just by fixing things, he learned how to fix things and he would do it with his hand. No matter what it was in my house, it was broken. It could be a garbage disposal. Daddy would come home, he'd fix it. If somebody threw a rock while they were mowing through the window, I won't say who it was, Uh, Daddy could come home and he could fix it. And it just didn't matter. If something was broken in our house, he was going to fix it. These days, in my house, not so much. I told my dad, I think this skipped a generation because I don't know how to fix anything. Uh, Recently, the doorknob on the back door of our house broke. And when I say broke, that's, that's all I know. It, it just didn't work anymore. Like, you turn it and nothing would happen. And Jessica said, hey, can you come look at this doorknob? It's not working right. And I said, sure. And so I, that's what I did. I went and looked at it. I was like, yeah, <laughs> it don't work. And so instead of fixing I don't know how to fix this thing, I went to my phone. I pulled it out, Amazon.com. and said, I'll just buy a new doorknob toss this one in the trash. My dad would never, right? He would pass out if he knew that I bought a new doorknob. He would have fixed it car manuals when you used to buy a car back in the day it would come with these big manuals that would tell you how to fix all these different things how to check the fluids how to do this and how to do that and now you open up a car manual and it's just like take it to somebody who knows what they're doing don't lick the battery you know that's that's where we are as a society we have a throwaway 
society. Instead of fixing things, we toss them out and we look for new ones to take their place. We do this with stuff. Things break, we get a new one. But we also do it with people. When relationships are broken, instead of putting in the work that it takes to fix it, a lot of times we just say, you know what, I'm better off without them. And we set it aside and we go to look for something else. But often God wants to restore the ones that we've got. God knows that things break. He knows that we break. Psalm 103 says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that we are humans and he knows what we're made out of. And even the toughest people you know still have a fragile frame that we are made from dust. He knows that when the pressure of life comes and the things in life come against us, that sometimes we break. And he knows that relationships break and he makes a way for those things to be restored. One thing that tends to break a lot is a relationship in our life. We can all probably think of relationships that have been broken or that are broken with people that we know right now. And relationships are the most valuable thing that we have in life. And the longer you live, the more you realize that this is absolutely the truth. It's not about money. Life isn't just about hobbies and having a good time and pleasures and accomplishments and trophies. As good as those things can be, Life is about the people that God has placed in our life. And you would think with as valuable as relationships are, as valuable as people are in our lives, we would spend years and years learning and being trained on how to deal with relationships, how to handle conflict, how to navigate and patch up brokenness when we see it. You would think that that would happen, and we would learn about this in school. I do not remember taking that class in junior high. I remember how to bake a cupcake. I remember the Dewey Decimal System that I'll never use in my whole life. But I do not remember any time where we sat down and learned how to go through tough times with other people, which is wild to me because you got to be trained to do all sorts of things. Any job that you get, you got to be trained. One job that I had was I worked for Walmart and I pushed the shopping carts from the, the parking lot back into the store. That was the entire job. And they took me two days to train on how to do that. Okay. That may say more about me than it says about them, but it's the truth. I had to go through a training for this, but I did not have to go through one minute of training to marry a woman from Louisiana. Now, that is crazy to me. I don't understand it, but it's the truth. Some of you may have been in families that modeled this well, how to handle tough times, how to get over disagreements. Some of you didn't. I know there are a lot of people that grew up around real dysfunction in their life, and maybe your family could write a novel on all the things not to do. You weren't helped by watching your family go through tough times. And so you grow up, you fall in love, you get married. 
You go through something hard and difficult, and then you're like, what am I supposed to do now? In conflict, there's usually two types of people, okay? We call them skunks and turtles. And the turtles, they're the ones that they're going to have their head down, and, and, and the fight's going on, and they're not looking at anybody. And the other one is the skunk, and they're spraying their stank all over the house. And they always marry each other. On your ride home, you need to find out which one of y'all is the skunk, all right? This is what tends to happen in life. People think, man, when I get into a fight, oh, we're incompatible. I didn't know it, but now I know it. How can we ever make it? Listen, opposites attract. You've heard that. And when they're attracting, it's awesome. Everything looks like uh, it's fitting together perfectly, right? We're so much alike. I like food and she likes food. This is so good. I breathe air and so does she. We're soulmates. And you really get into it. Opposites attract. But then... You learn opposites attack, okay? And listen, it's just the truth. I'm not worried about you if you are married to an opposite because lots and lots of people are if you are growing in the Lord. Because if you're growing in the Lord, then he will take those things that are about you, the opposite things, and he will strengthen your marriage because of it. You will complement each other. You will reinforce each other where you're weak. God uses opposites all the time, and those people end up having amazing lives together. What I am worried about are the opposites that are together, and they are not growing. And year after year, they stay the same. And you find that when the opposites attack, you live in conflict day after day and week after week. And you get tired of the same old arguments over and over again. And you live in this conflict long enough, it'll end up destroying your home. Mark 3.25 said, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. Thankfully, the word of God keeps it real with us concerning conflict. It's all up in there. And today we're going to be in Genesis, a story of two brothers and conflict and tension that is uh, strong throughout their lives. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. These two brothers are twins. They have conflicts so severe that the mom actually sends Jacob away because she's afraid if I don't get these boys separated, then I'm going to lose both of them because Esau wanted to kill Jacob and then Esau would have been put to death for murdering Jacob. So it is incredibly tense. It goes unresolved for over 20 years until God himself intervenes. With Jacob and Esau, they had conflict from the very beginning. We're going to look at their life. And we'll see the different things in their lives that fed into this conflict, that broke their relationship, because many of the things that they dealt with are the same things that we deal with to this day. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you some things that I see in this story that uh, will help us identify where conflict comes from. The first is this. It, you see competition that becomes rivalry. Genesis 25, starting in verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb 
and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the other will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping at Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. They did not even make it out the womb before they started fighting. Jacob had a hold of that boy's foot and was trying to pull him back in because he wanted out first. Competition can be good and it can be healthy. When you are on the same team with someone, then you can compete and make things better and I can get better when I'm with you and you can get better when you're with me. But a lot of times, and you see this happen very often, it be, it's a competition that becomes a rivalry, an unhealthy rivalry. And instead of making us be a cut above, it cuts us deep. And you see this happen in different ways uh, in your workplace, in your family, people compete for the attention of their parents. They get into a thing where they have to win at all costs. But sometimes the cost is so high that it hurts someone else and breaks relationships. It happens in homes. It happens at work. It happens even in churches. A lot of churches get this way where they feel as though uh, other churches are our competition and there becomes a, a rivalry between churches. Let me tell you something about new life in the heart of this place. The churches that you pass on your way here, they are not our competition. We do not have a rivalry with these churches that are preaching the gospel in this town. They are our partners in proclaiming the word. They are not our competition. But that's what you see in Jacob and Esau is they had a very unhealthy competition with each other that became a hurtful rivalry. The second thing that you see is they were different, but their differences weren't celebrated. Their differences ended up being despised. Like they are two different dudes. They're twins, but they ain't anything alike. Okay. Esau is a hairy guy. Uh, Jacob is a smooth-skinned guy. Esau is outdoorsy. Uh, Jacob is inside shopping on Etsy. Like he, Esau's at <laughs> Cavender's Boot City, you know, and Jacob's at the Buckle. That's this is very different dudes, right? Uh, Esau becomes a daddy's boy, and Jacob becomes a mama's boy. And instead of them embracing this as a family, their differences, and with each other. Uh, they began to despise them, and their physical appearance was different. Their personality was different. It became not a point of celebration, but a point of contention that led to really deep wounds. Listen, God made us individually. He made us unique. If I look at my kids... In my house, my kids are so different. Their personalities are different. The way they look different. The way that they handle and respond and react to situations. How social they are. How much they want to be around people. How much they don't. All of these things are different, okay? They're both my kids. God made them both. They sometimes collide and those differences can combust. But in our home, we celebrate those differences, in our church, look, 
We don't all have to be alike. We don't all have to look the same way. We need to build a life-giving culture around that. God has brought in all kinds of people for a purpose. He made us unique and designed us and created us. And if we uh, celebrate the differences in this place, then they will complement each other and the house of God will be stronger because he's bringing in different types of people. Sometimes he brings in people that they walk in this room and they see everything that's wrong with it. If the carpet is stained, if the chairs are not lined up, if there's a stain on the floor, if there's a hole in the wall, like they find everything and that's what they look at. And those people are really good at helping us be excellent around here in the way that we um, just serve. Then God brings in people that if we didn't have one chair in this whole auditorium, they would walk in and they wouldn't notice it at all. They would just see all the other people and they'd go and talk to them and they'd be shaking hands and hugging people. And then when we told people to sit down, they'd be like, wait a second, did y'all change something around here? Like these are people that God brings in. They're not the same. They're gifted differently. They're unique, but God has created them and we need them all in your life, you can't let just the fact that someone is different than you be a point of contention for you. The next thing that we see is sin that separates. Jacob, uh, his name means liar, deceiver, and he lives up to his name. He manipulates to get what he wants, and he does some things that are wrong in this story. Esau, Esau is someone that does not have the favor of God on his life. He's driven by his flesh. He's rebellious. He gives away his birthright for a bowl of gumbo. He marries the wrong girl on purpose, out of spite. And all of these things that are sinful end up coming in and separating these people. Sin always separates and drives a wedge. Almost all of us know someone who maybe did walk with the Lord at some point that was a friend of yours or in relationship with you, even maybe a family member, and they have walked away from God and they choose to live a lifestyle that is rebellious to God. And when you are with them, you can feel the tension. And it's like, I can cut this tension with a knife. And they feel it too, because sin will always come in to drive a wedge in our relationship. And we see that here. And the last thing that I see in this passage is the old good old money problems. Everybody has been around somebody that there's tension because of finances. Jacob stole Esau's blessing from his dad, Isaac. Let me tell you how this played out. Isaac is at the end of his life. His eyesight is really bad. He can't see uh, very well at all. And so uh, Jacob knows this, and, he, and Isaac wants to, to give the blessing to his son Esau, to give him his inheritance and say, you are blessed. But Jacob, remember, is a deceiver and a liar. And so what Jacob does is he goes and he gets a costume. Esau's hairy, so he gets a hairy costume and he puts it on his arms. And uh, Esau smells like a, a man, a man's man out in the forest. And so Jacob goes and he gets some brute cologne and he puts it on you know, wipes on the neck and all this stuff. And he goes into his dad's room and Isaac is there and he says, it's me, it's your son Esau. And really it was Jacob. And so Isaac uh, stretches his hands out and feels the hair and he smells the cologne and he says, 
You are my son, Esau. I bless you. And in that moment, he stole Esau's blessing. And in the story, their relationship uh, had been strained before, but this was the final straw, the final blow. It all had to do with this inheritance. You know how many times I've seen this play out at funerals and families that were strong families, but then someone passes away and they get together to divide up the inheritance. And when people start dividing it up, the knives come out and you can just sit off to the side with popcorn and watch it unfold. It gets nasty. And really, honestly, it's very sad because this thing where people say, this is mine and I want this and you can't have this, this ends up driving a wedge in families. Sometimes this wedge is never healed. It's never restored, all because of these uh, selfish desires that happen around inheritance. I've seen it in my friends. I've seen it in my own family. So what happens? Jacob steals the blessing. It's his now. Esau finds out. And a few weeks ago, we talked about bitterness. Oh, boy, Esau got bitter. He got real bitter, and then he wanted to get even. And listen to this in Genesis 27, verse 41. It says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, listen, to this, this is some real bitter stuff here. The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And this wasn't just like a, I'm going to kill him. This is like, I'm going to kill him. He's going to die. This relationship was broken, messed up. And these things happen then the same way that they happen now. James 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Jacob and Esau's relationship was broken. You think of any relationship in your life that is broken. If you can, listen, I want you to know today there's hope. Because even though these guys had a wedge between them, God made a way for them to be restored and reconciled. And I'll show you what happened in the text. Number one, Jacob had to face the conflict. The tension hung in the air for a long time, over 20 years. Years And there's so much life that happened in between. And that goes to show you that time does not heal all wounds. Somebody said that one day. That person had never been shot because sometimes you got to do something more than just sitting around and wait it out. You can bleed out if you don't address the wounds. Time does not heal all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. The wounds that you have in your life, they must be addressed. And you have to face them. You do. You have to have the tough conversations, even if you don't want to. There was a time in my life, Jess and I had just gotten married, and she didn't know I had lost my job like a week before we got married. And so 
She was marrying the unemployed. God bless you. <laughs> I love her for it. Um, when we got back, we lived in Albuquerque, and we had a little apartment out there. And we didn't know how to pay the rent, to be honest with you. We were broke. I didn't have no money. I didn't have any prospects. And a buddy of mine said, you can stay in our house. You can live upstairs. He, was, he had a big house. And he let us move in. And so I said, Jessica, I got this great plan. We're going to move in with my buddy. And uh, I'm sure she felt like she really married a winner. But anyway, so we did. Um, we started to get everything out of our apartment. And we moved in. To, and Jess, I remember she, she told me, she said, you need to go talk to them at the apartment office. You need to tell them we're moving out. And I didn't want to do that because I knew they were going to be mad at me. I had this big, long lease and all this stuff. And I said, Jessica, I don't want to talk to them. She said, you need to go tell them that we're leaving. And I said, nah, they'll figure it out. You know, well, I'm not going to be there. You know, they'll come over one day. I'll be gone. And so I didn't take her advice. And we moved out. And um, did you know that you can't just move out of an apartment if, if you have a lease? They do not like that at all, actually. And sometimes uh, they post stuff to your credit report. <laughs> and so when we tried to uh, rent a house for the longest time, every time we would put in an application, it would be denied because I didn't go to that office and just tell these people that I was moving out of our apartment. That one little thing ended up costing me years of frustration and turmoil and not being able to rent a house or find a place to live, all because I didn't face it in the moment. And there are things that until you face them, they're going to follow you around in your life. God will put you in a position to face your biggest conflict. We see that all through scripture. We see it in Moses had to face the Red Sea. And David had to face Goliath and Joshua, the wall of Jericho. Elijah had to face Jezebel. The Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to face the fiery furnace. Paul had to face Caesar. Jesus had to face the cross of Calvary. And if that cup did not pass them by, it won't pass you by either. You've got to face it. Conflict is never resolved accidentally. It's always intentional. Someone has to make the move. It never resolves itself. The only way to reconcile a relationship is to face that conflict. You can't go over it. You can't go around it. You can't bury it. You've got to look it in the face. And some of you have people in mind right now like, yes, I know I have a relationship that I need to face what's going on. I don't need to avoid it any longer. And if that's you, this is what you can write down in your notes. I've got to talk to blank. And then you fill in the blank with that person. We have to face our conflict. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. What happened? Esau knew Jacob's coming. The messengers come back and they say, Jacob, Esau's coming to you. He's got 400 dudes with him. Jacob 
panics. 20 years later, he's still full of fear and anxiety over this broken mess of a relationship. And so he divides all of his stuff into two groups because he says, uh, at least half of us will make it out of this thing if Esau's coming after me. Like, we've got to do something here. 20 years, Jacob still has a ton of fear, but we see what happens next is that Jacob takes it to the Lord and faces it. Number two, we see Jacob wrestling with God. Some of you are going through stuff right now, and I would tell you, don't let it fester. But instead, start with taking this stuff that you're dealing with to the Lord. Take it to Jesus before anything else in prayer. Verse 24 So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob, uh, a man appears, the Bible calls an angel of the Lord, comes and wrestles with Jacob all night long. And then at one point, when it's over, he touches Jacob's hip and knocks it out of socket so that Jacob has to walk with a limp. Jacob comes out of this wrestling match very different. And this is why, this is why you have to go to God with this stuff, because God will take that conflict and he will use it to change you. Conflict is like a tunnel. You have to go through it. And when you come out on the other side, you'll be a different person. And this moment literally changed Jacob. He goes from being Jacob, the manipulator, the liar, the deceiver, to God changing his name to Israel, which means prince with God. And for you, how do you wrestle with God in things? I would tell you this. Take these broken things to him in prayer and take them back to him over and over and over again so long as you need, as these things are coming up in your life and they're on your mind, every time that, that these things surface, take them to the Lord in prayer. Be persistent in it. Don't give up. Continue, continue, continue. I, when my kids, something breaks in my house, they just naturally come and bring it to me and say, hey, this is broken. Can you, can you fix this? And we should do the same thing with the Lord. When we encounter brokenness in our life, just like a child, we'd say, Lord, this is broken. Would you fix it? And I'll tell you, he's always working. But a lot of times, he's working on you. Like you bring something to him, and you're like, man, these people did me wrong, Lord. This situation's messed up, Lord. Fix their heart. And he says, okay, let's start with your heart. Like, even if you have a broken relationship and it was only 4% your fault, 
The Lord's going to shine that light on your heart and show you that 4%, and you've got to own it and start with your own life. There was a pastor at one of the campuses of New Life, and they said, you know, I was always like, when people would come around me and they had really bad breath, like it would get on my nerves and it would offend me so bad. Like, I just couldn't understand it. I hate it. He said, during the pandemic, I had to put on one of those N95 masks. And I realized my breath stank worse than anybody. <laughs> so going forward, you know what I've decided? I'm just going to work on my own self. I'm going to fill my pocket up with mints, right? When you wrestle with God, he begins to light up the areas of your own heart that you may have missed the mark. And so I would say, if you're in conflict, talk to God. Let God shine a light on you. Ask him to help you. And then once you're at a place where you can do this, you need to set up a peace talk. Number three, the last thing that we see, we see Jacob be the blesser. Jacob sends all this stuff to Esau to try to find favor with him before they meet up. And they want He's hoping and praying that when they do meet, that Esau's not trying to kill him, but all of this stuff will have won him over. And Esau asks, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? And Jacob said this, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob is trying to be a blessing in every way that he can in his words, in the way that he honors. He said, uh, he calls him my Lord in this. He's honoring him in his actions and his gifts. He's holding nothing back. The one thing that Esau wanted, his father's blessing, he didn't get. But then Jacob, when they meet, he blesses him all the more. He gives him the thing that he's always wanted is that blessing, right? When you have someone in your life that you have conflict or a broken relationship with, I will tell you this, it may not be easy, but it is worth it to sow seeds of blessing and peace into their life. James 3.18 says, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and they will reap a harvest of goodness. Who in my life is it that I need to be planting seeds with? How do I be a blessing to someone? Over these last few minutes that we're together, my prayer is that God would just show you the relationships that you have that are broken and what you can do to take a step towards reconciliation. Like that's my prayer. Like what broken relationship in your life does God want to restore? Write their name down. Begin to pray for them. Let's get to work. I will say this. There is a relationship in your life that was broken, but then God did all the work to fix it. And that's your relationship with him. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says that every one of us had a broken relationship with God. We've messed up because of sin in our life, because of the things that we've done, the decisions that we've made, how we were really an enemy to God. We lived in rebellion against his word. Even though we didn't do anything to deserve it, he still took all the steps to restore this relationship, to reconcile us to himself so that we could know him. Jesus came. He went to the cross of Calvary. He died. He rose again, all so that we could be in relationship with God. And maybe this morning you know of someone that you have a broken relationship with and God's been like, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. But some of you, maybe your relationship with the Lord is broken. You've walked away. You're not in right standing. And the Holy Spirit is like, hey, it's time to get right. And God stands ready to forgive and to give you his grace and to give you his forgiveness and his mercy. And he's calling out. He's done all the work. And you just need to respond to that today.